Well, it's certainly good to be here to worship together. Uh, thankful for Brother Evan and the worship team. Uh, one week he may be leading worship, the next week he may be preaching. So uh, thankful for last week, uh, for Brother Evan speaking and uh, certainly doing a fantastic job. Thankful for our staff and for so many gifted people here at our church who are able to serve and use their gifts uh, for the Lord. So glad to be back. Uh, looking forward to a great day today. Looking forward to a great school year. Uh, we are planning to do a fun series that's going to move uh, for, for a long time here in the future. We're going to be going through the Gospel of John together. But before we jump into that series, as I think about uh, summer break coming to an end, as I think about uh, so many people getting back into a normal routine with kids going back to school and uh, the, the calendar kind of resetting for a lot of families, I thought today uh, that we would spend some time being challenged from the letter of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open uh, to Philippians chapter number one in our Bible reading plan that we're doing as a church. By the way, if you're not involved in a Bible reading plan or you're not, uh, you don't have a good plan for spending meaningful time with Jesus, we've got some plans that are still available back there in our lobby at our next steps area. You may go with any of the years getting closer to the end. That's okay. There's no better time than right now to start spending meaningful time with Jesus. And so recently we read through the letter of Philippians and my heart was challenged by some of the things that the Apostle Paul went through. And it really made me think about um, this year Year, this school year and uh, kind of resetting as we get back to normal and being challenged to live out our faith for the Lord. So find Philippians chapter one. We're going to be in a couple of verses there for a little bit of time this morning. But as, as I was reading through this section of Philippians, I thought about a familiar phrase that a football coach of mine used to use when I was in high school. The phrase was necessary toughness. Now, you may have never heard that phrase or used that uh, phrase before, but this was the phrase he would use anytime we hated something that he made us do, whether it was run another sprint or do a particular drill or lift that in the weight room or look at this in the film room, and we thought, coach, this is the dumbest thing we've ever done. He would respond with, A, just do it because I'm your coach, or go home, or B, this is what he would call necessary toughness. Now, here's what that phrase meant to me. Necessary toughness is the toughness that is necessary. You're like, Danny, that's duh. I agree. It's the toughness that's necessary in life when something hard has to be done and you don't want to do it. But not doing it would result in something worse than the pain received by doing it. I know that was a mouthful, right? Coach, by the way, never broke down what this phrase meant for us. This is just how I uh, defined what this phrase was. Here's a better way to think about it. Have you ever had to do something that was going to hurt, but not doing it would result in much more pain? Anybody ever experienced something like that? I don't really want to do it, but if I don't do it, the end result is going to be much worse than actually doing what it was the first time around, right? Like if you just get it right the first time, you won't have to redo the process over and over again to finally get it right the next 10 times. Like just go through the pain up front that's needed to be done because not doing it would be worse than going through the pain on the front end. I really thought about school. I know that sounds terrible for those administrators in the room or staff who are so excited to get back to the wonderful thing we call school. But I thought about my kids who have complained as we get closer and closer to the day and are now here when the new school year begins. They've complained about summer being over and having to go back to school. Have any parents heard that? Am I the only one? I am completely alone. Thank you uh, for all the parents whose kids must love school and never complain about it. Anyway, I thought about school because this, not going to school would be worse than the pain of actually going. Are you with me? 
You say, what are you talking about? Well, it would limit their growth. It would limit their opportunities in life. As a matter of fact, for some of you parents, you'll go to jail if you hold your kids out of school, right? School isn't what we always look forward to, maybe most of the time, but not going would be worse. Now, maybe you don't connect with that. You say, Danny, I don't care about what you're saying. Well, think about the end of a great vacation. No one wants to come home and go back to work. However, not going back to work would mean no money, no way to pay bills, no groceries. You wouldn't be able to afford a house or a car. It would mean no life, right? So going back to work is better than the alternative of not going back to work. I think about stopping to get gas when I really don't want to. It's inconvenient. I just want to go home. Why can't it just refill itself? But if I don't stop for gas, the alternative is worse, right? I'm broke down on side the road with no way to get home. So just overcome the first necessary toughness moment because the alternative is worse. Maybe this is cutting out an ingrown toenail for you. Maybe this is a splinter that you never wanted to deal with. I know now we're getting really weird and you're like, Danny, why are we talking about this? Well, all of these are simple things, and I would agree with that. But I would also call all of these necessary toughness. Now, for me, this really got real this weekend because Kayla and I, my wife, we took the kids down south and visited with some family, and we began with her mom and dad. And when we got there, her mom was reminding me about something that Kayla's grandmother has to do once a month. I hadn't thought about it in a while. Kayla calls her mom's mom Nana, so that's the grandma we're talking about. And so Miss Wanda, my wife's mom, that's right, write all these names down somewhere. She was talking about Nana. And what she was talking about was Nana has to go and get a shot in her eye once a month. In other words, she has to go to the doctor for the doctor to stick a needle in her eye. Does anybody else for a moment just want to say, ouch, right? Like that doesn't sound fun. As a matter of fact, after the 8 a.m. service, I discovered we have lots of people in our church who have to go once a month and get a needle stuck in their eye. So here's what I will tell you about that. That sounds horrible. As a matter of fact, when she told me about this, there are several thoughts that raced through my mind. There's no way I would ever do that. That would be extremely terrible. It would hurt. That would be too painful. And the question that maybe many of you are thinking that I also thought right after she told me about going to the doctor once a month was this. Why in the world? Does she go to the doctor to get a shot in her eye once a month? I would never do that. And so Kayla, my wife, without going into every detail about Nana's condition, which I'm thankful that she didn't, gave me a simple answer. You ready? Nana goes without hesitation to have a needle stuck into her eyeball. Someone told me earlier, I won't mention Timothy's name, not to say stick a needle in your eyeball so many times. Anyway, I'm gonna say it again. Nana goes without hesitation to have a needle stuck in her eyeball once a month because if she doesn't, she will go blind. Now, let that perspective settle in for just a moment. Here's what I heard when Kayla told me that. It hurts to have a needle, a shot in your eye every month, but it prevents blindness. Now listen, if you were just going out of sheer fun to get shot in your eye, you're weird. But if you're going because the alternative is worse, you know what I would call that? I would call that necessary toughness. Now you may not go and have something like that done every month, but you've got these moments in your life that you would agree. Danny, I know exactly what you mean by that phrase. I've got plenty of things in my life that I have to do that I don't look forward to doing, but not doing it would mean something much worse. The alternative would be terrible. Okay, now Danny, why are you telling us all about these things? I agree, I'm gonna shut up about it. Here's why, because I believe Sharing the gospel is sometimes like this. 
I believe that in my life, I experience on a regular basis something that I would call necessary toughness. Now, not with any of the things that we've mentioned, but with something even as simple yet challenging as sharing our faith in Jesus. Now, you say, Danny, why do you say it? Well, think about it like this. Sometimes stepping up and being bold with sharing our faith seems scary, terrible, painful, uncomfortable, panic attacks going through some of your minds right now, right? But the alternative to not sharing our faith is way worse than the uncomfortableness we may experience in sharing our faith. You say, Danny, what do you mean? What's the alternative? The alternative is people die and spend an eternity in hell separated from God. Now, once again, let that sink in. What's worse? You being uncomfortable for a few moments, you being a little scared, a little terrified, a little painful in that moment, or somebody spending an eternity separated from Jesus. Listen, I think this is what Paul's writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter one. I think he's talking about what I like to deem a necessary toughness kind of moment. Now, this is a little bit more intense. In fact, let's read it together. Look at Philippians chapter one, starting in verse number 12. If you've got your Bible, I hope you're there. Let's, let's read this. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what's he talking about? What happened to him? Well, look at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he's talking about his prison sentence. He's saying, hey, don't worry about this. This is happening to advance the gospel. I'm in prison so that the guard and all the rest here in Rome can hear about Jesus. Now look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There's some benefits to this necessary toughness that he's going through. Now keep going, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? I love verse 18. Watch how he wraps this up. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? What's Paul referring to? Here's what he's saying. This is a moment for him of necessary toughness. He's willing to experience what's happening, whatever pain, whatever discomfort, whatever agony, whatever stress, whatever anxiety, whatever's going on in these moments, while he, by the way, is suffering because of the name of Jesus, he considers it joy. He considers it an opportunity. He considers it a necessary toughness kind of moment. Why? Because he's there, People are hearing about Jesus. Because he's there, the guard's being changed. People that are following Jesus in Rome, their faith is growing deeper. The gospel's being advanced. Here's what he's saying. I'm willing to go through whatever this situation might look like because not doing what I'm doing would be worse. What? What's the worst part that would happen? What's the alternative if Paul wasn't going through what he's going through? It's simple. The good news, the gospel, Jesus would not be spreading like he was through Rome. What if I told you this morning that you're not alone 
in the necessary toughness that is sharing the gospel, that is sharing Jesus with others. In fact, the Apostle Paul isn't just pointing out the necessary toughness involved in sharing the gospel. He's showing us how to deal with this necessary toughness that each of us as followers of Jesus will go through so that the gospel can advance. Let me show you what Paul teaches us with how to deal with necessary toughness. Here's the first one. We deal with necessary toughness in sharing the gospel when we, number one, change our perspectives. Change our perspectives, the way we see our lives and what's happening around us. Look back at Philippians chapter one, verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know brothers. You know what he's saying? All of you who follow Jesus, I want you to know what I'm about to say. Here's what he says. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now we know from reading already and his audience that's receiving this letter knows that he's pinning these words from jail. He's imprisoned at this point in time. He's letting them know that every experience that I go through, that every struggle, that every good and bad moment, all of it is a part of spreading the gospel. Everything in the life of Paul was an opportunity for people to hear about Jesus. You say, even when he's imprisoned? Yes, even when he's imprisoned, Paul would say it's happened to advance the gospel. He knew that everything that took place in his life was controlled by God. He knew that nothing took the Lord by surprise. If he was free, it was for the gospel. If he was imprisoned, it was for the gospel. If he was suffering, it was to advance the gospel. If he was content and happy and joyful, it was for the advancement of the gospel. Everything in his life came down to the proper perspective that he had in life that he wanted Jesus to be made known. As a matter of fact, we don't just read about this in Philippians. Listen to how Luke quotes what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This is Paul speaking. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, here it is, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was his goal. That's how he saw everything in life. Listen to how Paul's own advice is shared with another young preacher by the name of Timothy. These are Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Listen to what he wrote. Remember Jesus Christ. Isn't that always a good thing to remember? Risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. He's saying, here I am, I'm stuck. I'm in jail because of Jesus. But I love this, even though he's chained, even though he's bound, here's what Paul went on to write. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You say, Danny, what's he telling Timothy? Remember, in all things, your perspective in life has to be good or bad. It's an opportunity for you to share Jesus with people you may not have another opportunity to share Jesus with. I love how this unknown author puts this style of life in a poem that was written. Here's, here's the words. Not till each loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly, shall God reveal the pattern and explain the reason why. The dark threads were as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver for the pattern which he planned. Listen, I don't know if it's good or if it's bad, 
but whatever's happening in life, maybe you need a change of perspective to realize that God is at work even when you don't see it. As a matter of fact, I want you to notice this. Don't, don't mistake perspective with preference. In my Sunday school class, we had an enjoyable time as we looked at the crucifixion or the betrayal and the ultimate crucifixion scene that was upcoming in the Gospels of Jesus. And in those moments, the disciples vowed that they wouldn't betray Christ. They went with him to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He found them sleeping even when they should have been praying. But one of the things that I love the most about that part of Scripture is the words of Jesus that we are oh so familiar with. As he's there praying for God's will to be done and not his own, you may remember this, but he actually prays, God, if this cup can pass from me, right? You remember that moment? If I don't have to climb on the cross, if I don't have to suffer this way, if I don't have to shed my blood, God, if there's another way for people to receive me as their Lord and Savior, let's try that route. But do you remember what Jesus said? But not my will, yours be done, right? What's Jesus saying in that moment? He's saying that, listen, it's not my preference that suffering happen, but if that's the way it needs to happen, then my perspective will be to follow God regardless of the situation or the outcome. You with me? Just because Paul is sharing that his imprisonment is for the advancement of the gospel, don't mistake his perspective with preference. You think Paul woke up and said, I hope I'm in jail today? You think he woke up and said, man, I hope that I get to Rome and be shackled so that I have no freedoms in my life? Of course that's not what he wanted. But here's what he knew, that by being there, the gospel would be advanced. Sure, he wanted to go to Rome, but he wanted to go as a missionary and a preacher, not as a prisoner. He had desires to go to Spain and share Jesus, to go to Britain and Africa, even the unknown parts of the world. He had huge plans for spreading the name of Jesus, but instead he stuck in chains as a prisoner, not preacher, but prisoner. Yet Paul never whines or complains or even questions God about his chains. Instead, he sees his chains as God's call. Listen to this. Where other people saw shackled, Paul saw sent. Where other people saw limited, Paul saw leverage. Where other people saw opposition, Paul saw opportunity. Listen, we hear about this type of thinking all throughout Scripture. Joseph in the Old Testament is a great example. Even when his brothers betrayed him and sent him and sold him into slavery, even were about to kill him. Later in life, God used something that terrible to lead Joseph to be the very one who took care of his brothers. As a matter of fact, in, in the book of Genesis in chapter 50, here's what he says to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Paul's a great example of perspective over preference. Joseph is a good example of perspective over preference. You know who else is a great example of perspective over preference? Jesus is. I mean, think about what the devil thought when Jesus was being crucified. He thought he would end all that God was doing. But what he didn't know was that what he meant for bad, God meant for good. Jesus' death meant life for us. This is why Peter said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Listen, where I would have viewed imprisonment as a curse, Paul saw it as a commission. Where I would have seen failure, Paul saw fruit. What if our perspective was to view everything in our lives as divinely orchestrated by God? Not obstacles, but opportunities. I thought to myself, maybe the blindness 
God wants to deal with this morning is for believers who haven't been seeing things the way God wants them to. Maybe we've been blind to what God is wanting to do through us. Paul put it like this earlier in Philippians chapter one. He said, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, God is at work in all things, even the necessary toughness moments. Maybe what we need is to change our perspective and see things as God sees things. Listen, we deal with necessary toughness and sharing the gospel when we change our perspectives. But secondly, we deal with necessary toughness and sharing the gospel when we control our priorities. Don't miss this, when we control our priorities. Look back at Philippians chapter one, verse 13. Paul goes on, though this imprisonment is for the advancement of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What if we overcame the, uh, the necessary toughness moments of sharing the gospel? What if instead we would change our perspectives and see that God is using those moments for the opportunity to share the gospel? What if, what if instead we controlled our priorities in our life. And we realize that all of these moments, the necessary toughness moments, are opportunities for us to advance the kingdom and spread the gospel. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, I, I think Paul would tell us that we control our priorities first through what we show. Now think about this, through what you show. Here's what he says in verse 13. It has become known that my imprisonment is for Christ, whether it's the imperial guard or, as he says, to all the rest. That's what he's there for, to make Jesus known. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, what you show. Now, what's he talking about with this guard and the rest of the people there? Well, imperial guard could refer to the headquarters built by Emperor Tiberius for the powerful Praetorian Guard, which originally consisted of 10,000 soldiers. It could also be just simply referring to the soldiers themselves. Now these soldiers, just to give you the, the proper uh, uh, viewpoint of who they were, these soldiers were like what we would think of today for our president as the secret service. They acted as police in the city of Rome and personally protected the emperor. So when Paul arrives in Rome, by the way, as a prisoner, he is first turned over to the custody of the commander of the imperial guard. This guy would be known as the prefect. Paul's imprisonment, once he's turned over to the prefect, meant that he would be chained always to one of the soldiers from the imperial guard. He wasn't in a jail cell like we think of just a typical prison sentence. Instead, he's probably actually on what we would call super house arrest. House arrest in the sense that he's confined to an apartment in Rome, but super because he's also chained to a imperial guard. Now scholars explain this as Paul having an 18 inch chain that connected his wrist to the wrist of the soldier. He was imprisoned this way for two whole years. Now you go, Danny, why are you talking to us about the, the prison sentence of Paul in Rome? Well, here's why. For two years, Paul constantly had access to various soldiers throughout the imperial guard. In other words, they were stuck, linked with the apostle Paul. Now, can you imagine for a moment 
the things you would learn about Jesus if you were stuck with the great apostle Paul, even for just one day. Not two years, just one day. Now, obviously, you would hear about Jesus. But what else would you experience as you're chained to the apostle Paul? Now, think about this. Do you think any of these soldiers would have heard the gospel from Paul without being chained to him in the first place? Possibly. But would they have listened to the advice and words of a Jewish missionary if he would have approached them on the street? Probably not. They would have kicked him and pushed him down somewhere, right? Would they have flocked to one of his meetings or church services in the local synagogues to hear a presentation of Jesus? No, probably not. But for months on end, they would be chained to him and watch every moment of his life. They would see his joy and love even as he suffered during some of the most difficult circumstances of his life. They would hear him pray, possibly for hours, for God to save the world. In fact, they would probably hear their own name being prayed for. They would watch him interact with many visitors who came to see him while he was on house arrest. He would give them counsel and pray for them and challenge them and encourage them. Can you imagine what these soldiers are experiencing as they witness the life of Paul, as they witness the life of Jesus through him every day for that long? As a matter of fact, not just the guard. Verse 13 says, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The New Living Translation uses the phrase, everyone here. I think Paul meant that literally to all the rest of the people in that area, not just to the soldiers of the Imperial Guard. As a matter of fact, later in Philippians, Paul would say that the brothers who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, especially, here's what he would say, those of Caesar's household. You say, Danny, what's he referring to? Paul's in a location showing Jesus in such a way that anybody who has interaction with him, they brought him to the one place where they thought they could shut him up, but really bringing him to the imperial guard was the worst thing they could do. Bringing him to Caesar's household was the worst thing they could do. Why? Because no matter where Paul was, he was going to show people Jesus. Can I ask you something, friends? If somebody was chained to you 18 inches apart, what would they learn about Jesus? If somebody was stuck with you, would they want to follow Christ or would they want to run as far away as they could in the other direction? Do you show Jesus to the people around you. Listen, friends, I think we've got to control our priorities through what we show. I think we also have to control our priorities through who you strengthen. Look back at verse 14. And most of the brothers, not just that people are are hearing about Jesus and getting saved, but also for the Christians, he says, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying people gained confidence and they caught on fire for Jesus after witnessing Paul's example. His life pushed them to do more for Jesus. I love what Leonard Ravenhill is famously quoted saying. He said, you don't have to advertise a fire it will advertise itself. Is that our lives? Do we push people to be more like Jesus because of the example that we are living? Think about, think about it like this. You're a Christian in Rome or the surrounding areas, and you hear about Paul, even in chains, sharing Jesus and seeing lives change. You're hearing about all these people coming to faith in Christ through a man who is bound to the confines of a building, chained to a member of the Imperial Guard. Now you're thinking, if 
Paul could see people come to faith in Jesus in that situation. The very ones who were trying to kill and stop the church of Jesus, if he could see those people come to faith in Jesus, how much more could those of us who are free share Jesus with the world? Listen, his relentless effort to share Jesus, no matter the circumstances, even in chains, was like gasoline on the fire of the boldness of the early church. Maybe you're not blind, but you have some blind spots in your life. Who might God be using to reveal those blind spots to you? Listen, I experienced this in a real way this morning. You said, Danny, what do you mean? I was on my way to Sunday school, and another Sunday school class asked me if I'd come hang out for their prayer time. I said, sure, I'll come sit for a little bit. And so I'm sitting there in the prayer time, and toward the end of the prayer time, they asked me to come sit up front as they all came and laid hands on me, and they began one by one praying over my life and my family. Now listen, you know what that did for me? That set a fire under my life, even emotionally sitting there thinking, we can do this together. We can see Jesus made famous. We can advance the gospel as we strengthen one another to live the way that God wants us to live. Listen, you've got to control your priorities, certainly through who you show and certainly through who you strengthen, but also through what you share. I want you to notice what their confidence led to at the end of verse 14. It wasn't to a better live out their faith in front of people, though we should. It wasn't to invite people to to church services, though we should. It wasn't to battle anyone's personal opinions about life and politics, although we certainly can. Paul produced confidence in fellow believers to actually speak God's message. Look back at it. He said, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Man, we can deal with the necessary toughness of sharing our faith when we control our priorities through what we show and through who we strengthen. However, we must always not only show and strengthen, but actually share our faith by speaking the message of God, by speaking the good news, the gospel, by sharing Jesus with others. Listen, Paul couldn't have made this any more clear than he did in Romans chapter 10. Listen to these words. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, the necessary toughness moments in sharing the gospel are coming. It's not if, it's when. Maybe what we need is to change our perspectives and see God at work in everything. Maybe what we need is to control our priorities and realize that what we show, who we strengthen, what we share really matters as Jesus wants to advance the kingdom through us. But let me show you this last thing. We deal with necessary toughness in sharing the gospel also when we consider our purpose. Look back at Philippians 1. Let me just, let me read 15 through 18 again just to wrap our brains around it. Here's what Paul wrote. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? I love this moment, right? So Paul's like, okay, got it. What? What should we do then? Should we give up, throw our hands up in the air? Things are not going the way we want. Things aren't as easy as we thought they should be. Things are a little difficult. It's not as comfortable. No, no. What then? Should we quit? No. Only that in every way, 
whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Listen, Paul was unashamed about his purpose in life. I love the way he put it to the church in Rome in Romans 1.16. You've probably heard this before. He wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What a powerful truth. What a powerful reminder. The apostle Paul lived to make Jesus known. Friend, do we? Do we remember that as a follower of Christ, we've surrendered our lives to him and his purpose of proclaiming Jesus to the world? I, I love the way Paul writes it to the church in Galatia. It's my favorite verse, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know if you forgot this. But when you decided, whenever that was, however long ago it might be, when you decided to follow Jesus, you laid your life down. You are crucified with Christ. What's he saying? He's saying it's no longer you who live. It's no longer Danny who lives. It is now Jesus who lives in me. So what's my purpose? What does he want me to do? How does he want me to live? Everything that happens should be a reflection of how Jesus wants to make himself known through my life. If that means... There needs to be some changes in my perspectives. If that means I need to see that he's working, even when I don't see it or understand it, what it means is that I need to trust that God is in control. Maybe I need a change in my perspectives. Maybe it's some control in my priorities that I need, right? Maybe he's revealing to me that I don't show or strengthen or share Jesus the way that I should. Do people see Jesus in you? Do you display the gospel through your life? Maybe, friends, you need to be reminded and consider your purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. What is it? To make Jesus known. So speak God's message boldly. Listen, the Great Commission wasn't just for super Christians like Paul. It was for everyone who would follow Jesus. You have been saved in order to be sent. So what does that look like as you stand boldly for Jesus, sharing your faith? Now, friends, listen, I know sharing your faith in Jesus isn't always the easiest thing to do. I know things don't always go the way you want or think that they should go. I even know that you've probably missed plenty of opportunities just like I have. Can I just tell you something? I'm with you. I'm not an outsider speaking about something that I do not know. I walk this Christian life alongside of you. I, too, struggle with the necessary toughness that is sharing the gospel. Listen, sometimes sharing our faith is as difficult as getting a shot in the eyeball, but the alternative is so much worse. I'm talking about blindness, not physical blindness, not physical sight. I'm talking about people never seeing Jesus. We should be able to say, as Paul did in Philippians 1.18, what then? Don't share Jesus because it's difficult? No. Don't share Jesus because it's not easy? No. Don't share Jesus because it makes you uncomfortable? No. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Friends, nothing else really matters except Jesus. Whether that's at school and you get the opportunity to tell your friends about Christ, whether that's at work and you get your opportunity to love on someone who doesn't know Jesus, whether that's some neighbors or, or, or some friends or some people that you play ball with. Listen, I don't know what that looks like in your life, but here's what I know. It's not always the easiest thing to tell somebody about Christ, but it is certainly necessary because if they don't know Jesus, the alternative from your uncomfortable moment is much worse. They spend eternity apart from from God. So what does that look like in your life? 
I read a story not too long ago. I'm going to sum it up for you. It's about a guy named George Verwer. Anybody ever heard of George Verwer? I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. I'm just going to call him George. I think that one's spelled the same no matter where you are. No weird spellings of George, just the weird one that is George. You know what I'm saying? If you're a George, you got me. George, a guy, he was an evangelist. Not by trade. He just took every moment that he could to share his faith. He would speak at different meetings. He'd be on street corners. Didn't really matter. He was going to share about Jesus. But there's a story told of a particular time where he was preaching to hundreds of people and a lot of people were responding and getting saved. It was a beautiful service. But he had one guy who came up at the end and it was multiple nights. I think he came up multiple times. And the guy was like, look, I just don't believe in God. I don't believe he can do what you're talking about. I don't believe he can really save people. I don't think he can really change people. And I'll never forget what George said. It's a beautiful moment. George was talking about it and he's like, look, I may not be able to share with you scientifically or logically or philosophically or look, you can Google a thousand things. George didn't say this, this is me. Now, George was before Google, but you can Google a thousand different things about what, you know, what the Bible says and if God is real and what the world says. You can do all those way better than I can. George said, I, I, I can't do any of that for you, but here's what I can do. I'm about to go to India for a few weeks. I will pay for you to come with me. And I want you to just watch what Jesus does in my life. I want you to watch how he saves people while we're gone. And then I want you to tell me that Jesus isn't real. They said, Danny, why are you telling us this story? Because here's what I thought. George, in order to prove that Jesus was real, invited someone to come watch how he represented Christ. And I thought to myself, how many of us would be bold enough to say that? Hey, you know what? You don't believe in Jesus? How about you come and live with me for one week and you see what God does in my life. You see how he works in me. You see how I respond to circumstances. You see how I deal with the issues in my life. You see how I pray. You see how I share my faith. Hey, you come live with me for one week and I guarantee you will not be able to say that Jesus is not real. Now listen to me. How many of us could really invite somebody to do that? Or how many of us would be terrified to invite somebody to do that because we'd be scared they wouldn't follow Jesus after looking at us? I thought, man, it's so difficult at times to represent Christ, but it is a necessary toughness so that people can meet Jesus. Friends, who do you know? Who's around you? Who do you rub shoulders with that you've been terrified, scared? You've been running the opposite direction as much as you can. You've been changing the subject to anything and possibly everything that you can except for Jesus. When God's given you multiple, multiple, multiple opportunities to share your faith, what if that would change? What if we would just 10 seconds of courage, right? Necessary toughness, necessary toughness. What if we just took that moment and said, hey, can I just tell you about Jesus? I can't give you everything there is to know about him. I can just tell you what he did for me. What if our perspectives were to see God at work? What if our priorities were to share Christ? What if our purpose was to live on fire for Jesus? What if we did what he asked us to do? Would it change the world? Listen, I was thinking about a new school year and I know for many of you, life is just life. But at our house, when a new school year starts, it's like the world flips over again. And I thought, man, what a great time to be challenged in the basics of our faith to share Jesus. Listen, friends, you might be here this morning and maybe your necessary toughness moment really is responding to the gospel. 
Maybe you've known for a long time you need Jesus, but you've been terrified. I don't want to go to somebody. I don't want to ask somebody how to get saved. I don't want to admit that I'm a sinner. I don't want to step out from my pew. I don't want to go to that lobby. Danny, it's just weird. It's scary. I'm terrified. I don't want to do it, friends. Just muster up a little bit of courage this morning. Come find me back there in that lobby. I'd love to take my Bible and tell you how you can begin following Jesus. I know it's scary. Hey, listen, I did it one time too. It was terrifying. Can I remind you of something, friend? If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, the alternative is much worse. Step out today, meet Jesus for the first time. Friend, that person in here that you know you've got somebody the Lord's been laying on your heart to share your faith with and you haven't been doing it, I pray that you embrace the necessary toughness moment this week. Listen, I don't know how God's asking you to respond, but I know when his word is preached, he demands a response from us. So listen, I pray the apostle Paul's life is a conviction on you like it is to me. And I pray that you respond however you need to respond. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome.